Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Habakkuk. It's chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and verses 12 to 14, and you can find it on page 1067 of your pew Bible. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats wide as shield. Like death, they never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all peoples as their own. Alas, for you who build a town by bloodshed and found a city on iniquity, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor only to feed the flames and nations weary themselves for nothing? But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The word of the Lord. Our second reading today comes to us from the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 12 to 14 and 16 to 22. Let's listen again for a word from God. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went from there. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. The word of God. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning, O oh God, on your word to us, your light which illumines every corner of our lives, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
I'm going to start this morning, if you let me, on a sort of melancholy note. Uh, how many of you, uh, sort of around my generation, or maybe even younger, read the book The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton? Uh, it was turned into a movie. I, thought, I always think of the movie as sort of a late thing, but the movie's like 35 years old now. It had a lot of big, young stars. Tom Cruise had a supporting role. Rob Lowe, Amelia Estevez, Patrick Swayze. Um, in that book and in the movie, there's a Robert Frost poem that sort of gives us sort of the ongoing theme. It's called Nothing Gold Can Stay. If you read the book or saw the movie, you might remember it goes like this. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. And in the book, Johnny says that to Pony Boy just before Johnny dies. It's kind of sad, it's really sad, this notion that nothing gold, nothing wonderful, moments of true happiness and joy can't linger a little longer than they do. I think about that when I um, see students graduating every spring, um, how you know they're celebrating this moment, but it'll never happen again. Right? That moment, which I hope for most of them is golden, is beautiful, is wonderful, sense of accomplishment and pride and friendship. All of us know that nothing gold can stay when the people who've meant so much in our lives move away or pass away. Children who leave for college, I think we, those of you who've gone through that know how that, it really, everything changes after that moment. Uh, actually, as a parent, just the changes in the stages of a child's life, you know, these series of moments of grieving the loss and then welcoming the new stage that's come along. But it sort of goes one with the other, hand in hand. We don't want to hear this message that Frost put into that beautiful short poem uh, nothing gold can stay. We like to grab and capture and try to recreate those golden moments as much as we can with our selfies. You know, in the, just on the, in the transfiguration moment in the scriptures, uh, Peter, James, and John wanted to build booths when they saw Jesus there with Moses and Elijah who had been dead for a few years. All of a sudden there was this amazing moment and they wanted to capture the moment and hold on to it, but they couldn't. They had to go back down the mountain into real life again. This poem is true because it's the reality check that life gives us. The best moments are fleeting. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to face that truth that the moments that are the most meaningful in life we can't control and we can't manage. We certainly can't um, plan them to work out exactly like we'd like. We have to let go of that fantasy every day, it seems to me. Um, think about the plans you made, well, this morning, let alone yesterday or in your life. Uh, I had no idea I'd be doing this when I graduated from college. None. I still have friends who can't believe it. We make plans and God laughs, someone said. We have to face that truth. There's a, it's not easy because it introduces the thing we hate the most, uncertainty, right? Vulnerability, 
loss or lack of control. We have to embrace that, really. Uh, we have to embrace the darkness before any light can come in. Um, Buddhism, another religion that's really not even a religion of any kind of God, has the same fundamental belief. You have to let go of all those things to which you're attached in order to find true peace, true uh, uh, enlightenment. Uh, and it's not easy letting go of what's comfortable, letting go of the fantasy of control and planning. Um, most of us, in the process of letting go, either uh, unintentionally or intentionally, have to wander around in our own wilderness for a while. We have to wander through the Red Sea in those moments when we see the chariots of Egypt coming behind us with their slavery and this, this wall of water in front of us. Uh, it is not a foregone conclusion how things are going to work out. That's something that's really good to remember as you read scripture. These story people were terrified of what was going to happen the next day. Life is not certain. I just learned a phrase. Have you heard this phrase, the Sunday scaries? Uh, I think it means you don't want to go to work on Monday, right? Uh, I think I heard it in an advertisement for CBD edibles, so I'm not really sure I should be saying this. But, um, but the idea is that you just don't know what's coming. You're comfortable. You're having had a great weekend. You've been to church, of course. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, you've got to go to work. And people suffer from this sort of uncertainty about what's coming ahead. Not just the work that's waiting for them, but just the change out of the sense of uh, relaxation and comfort. A lot of us, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with uh, Mondays at all because that's my day off. So I have, I have the Monday scaries. You know, I sort of, I don't get in here as early on Tuesday. I sort of find myself lollygagging. Um, everybody feels this way. You know the joke about the mom who went into her son's bedroom, you know, like my mother used to do. The first time she'd call me, Gregory, time to go to, time to, go to school, wake up. Ten minutes later, after I ignored her completely, Gregory, School starts in exactly eight minutes, time to get up. In the third one, tears flowing now. Gregory, where did I go wrong? You know, then I would get up every morning. Uh, and the joke, in this case, the uh, mom came into her son's room and said, you know, son, time to get up, time to go to school. I don't want a mom. 10 minutes later, same thing, time to go to school. I don't want a mom. Third time, son, you've got to get up. You're the principal, <laughs> right? We have to face the week ahead. You have to. Um, nothing gold can stay, right? We have to accept the inevitable truth that our perfect plan, our desires aren't going to work out, but that's okay. Um, if you've lived long enough, you know that uh, God provides. We are not alone in this, and something good is going to happen. You just have to be open to it and ready for it. Um, I love that line from Leonard Cohen, often misquoted, but it goes something like this, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything, but that's how the light gets in. Right? There's a crack in our plans, a crack in our sort of self-absorbed feeling that we can control things. Um, but the theological way to put this is we have to face the imperfections of our lives lived solely for and by ourselves in order to experience the gift of life that comes from God, in order to experience that gift of life perfectly. Let go of our perfect plans, our perfect offerings, as Cohen said, and just receive the gift of perfect and abundant life. 
that letting go is a part of life. Um, and I think it's a part of our scripture this morning in Matthew, this famous text of the call of the first disciples. They, from the very beginning, show us what it's like to uh, live a Christian life where your plans don't work out. Do you think any of those guys thought that this guy would walk down the side of the Sea of Galilee by the, on the beach there and call them into a whole new direction of living? What do you think their families thought? The other fellow fisher p- persons, right? I mean, probably Matthew, I mean, probably Andrew and Peter and James and John had gone to fishing college or whatever it is you do. They, they'd been doing it for generations. And all of a sudden, um, here they are with just a couple of words having the, the direction of their life completely and radically changed. In Matthew's gospel, it starts out with the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew wants to make sure his readers know that Jesus, the gift of life and hope and love, God's very presence, falls into the great expectation of the Jewish people. And then we have the birth story that occurs in Matthew, very different from Luke's story. Um, And then we have uh, what we looked at at last week. Herod seeks to kill the baby boy who is a threat to his own power, Uh, but they escape King Herod and they, they, fly, they, they escape to Egypt. Jesus comes back from Egypt when it's safe. He's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And then he goes and is tempted in the wilderness, his own wilderness, where he, is, he can't control things. And then we have this story today. And we have this, story, this call of the first disciples as the light of the gospel now spreads from Jesus himself into the lives and through the lives of other individual human beings, one by one. The light that came at Christmas has already gone through this crucible of danger and vulnerability and temptation. It's ready now to be spread throughout the world. And I would like to submit today that this passage, the story of the call of Peter and Andrew, James and John, shows us how that light really spreads. It spreads across and around obstacles, pain, suffering, uh, and especially the suffering of us letting go of the fantasy of controlling our own lives, generating our own light. Now bear with me, and by the way, whenever my father was about to tell me something he was pretty sure I didn't want to hear, he still says, now Greg, bear with me. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Maybe I should say that at the start of every sermon, now that I think about it. But bear with me. As the kids and I have established scientifically, water finds its own way, finds its level, finds its way around obstacles. Ask any beaver, they'll tell you, right? You put something in front of it, it just flows around. It's very hard to stop. Light is different. At least I remember learning that in school back when I had, was forced to take science classes. Light, I was taught, only travels in a straight line. But did you know Maybe you do. That scientists have just discovered through these experiments that were taking place in Italy, Italians and Canadians apparently have teamed up on this, and discovered a new fact, a new truth, that light can act a lot like a liquid. That is, it can ripple and spiral around obstacles like the current of a river. And this recent discovery has led to more and more research about the properties and the use of light. Well, I think that's true of the light of the gospel, the light of the good news of God's love in Christ, being alive, 
and available and accessible and life-changing for all of us. Not, you know, having to decide for Christ and suddenly adopt a certain set of moral stances necessarily, but simply being open to the presence and like these four fishermen this morning, allowing that presence to dictate, the presence of love and peace and true happiness and joy to actually direct the course of your life. I think that's what the gospel is really about. Um, in Matthew, you have a couple, Matthew's a big formula guy. Whenever his gospel is different from the other three, and then Matthew has a lot of things. And one of the things that he has Jesus say, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is this formula that you see a lot in the Bible if you're really looking for it. It goes something like this. You've heard it said this, but I say that. Right? You've heard it said that you should not uh, kill, but I say you should forgive your enemies and turn the other cheek. So he doubles down on the scriptural law of the Jewish people and says, uh, intensifies God's call in our lives. These fishermen, as I said, were casting their nets or mending their nets. They were busy doing what they usually did. They were being practical. They were earning a living. And not just for themselves, I would guess, but also for their families. And suddenly they were rerouted. Life for them, life for you and for me never flows as expected. And it's not without kind of these kinds of obstacles or challenges or new opportunities to come just walking along the seashore. Life finds its way. I think the disciples said yes. Jesus didn't even say what he was going to offer them. He simply said, follow me in this text, right? But they understood the storyline, the through line here. They, the disciples this morning understood that following Jesus means living a different kind of life. Everybody is alive biologically, but it means living an abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10, has Jesus say this explicitly. I came that they may have life and that life abundantly. Not I came that they might, they might go to heaven or that they all might be goody two-shoes. He simply says, I want you to live the life you were born to live, that God wants you to live, to be the you that you can be. The preacher and scholar uh, and actually comedian King Duncan once said, most of us spend our lives anxiously chasing our own priorities, our own security, our own definition of success and control, our own plans. But what if there is something more, more abundant available to us, something filled with joy and hope and peace, more joy and hope and peace that we could possibly imagine, let alone generate for ourselves. If you measure your life in terms of success or enjoyment or money or whatever it might be, you just never get enough. There's always a need for more. You could always make a little more money, you could always get a few more perks, another promotion, another award, more recognition. But what's the difference, King Duncan asked, between a successful life and a meaningful life? I think the call that Jesus extends to each one of us, follow me, presents us with that choice. The light of Christ at Christmas has dawned by the people by the sea, not dawned on the people by the sea. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So what are they going to do with that light? How would your life be different? look different, feel different, if you left behind your own plans and priorities and prioritize simply following where this presence, which we know is Jesus Christ in the Christian world, 
leads you? What if you knew beyond the shadow of the, a shadow of a, the, a doubt that the spirit of Jesus living in and through you would take you where you need to go, even if you, don't have, you have no idea where that is, would equip you and empower you to live a more abundant, peace-filled life? And what if you understood deep in your mind and heart that by living that way, you're not just following the light yourself, you're shining the light on others, showing them that you can do it, you can be courageous enough to let go of what seems certain and to follow into a new and a better day. Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fish for people. I'm sure they had no idea what he was talking about. But he wasn't just offering these fishermen a better fishing job, their dream fishing job. He was offering them, as he's offering us, a pathway to a better kind of living, one that is not as certain, but the truth is, remember, we make plans and God laughs anyway whether we're religious or not. I love what Fred Beekner said, and I put it at the top of our bulletin this morning. Beekner said, people are prepared for everything except the fact that beyond the darkness of their blindness, there is a great light. They are prepared to go on breaking their backs, plowing the same old field until the cows come home without seeing, until they stub their toes on it. And there it is, the treasure buried in the field. They are prepared for a God who strikes hard bargains, but not for a God who gives as much for an hour's work as for a day's work. They are prepared for a mustard seed kingdom of God, no bigger than the eye of a newt, but not for the great banyan tree it becomes with birds in its branches singing Mozart. They are prepared for potluck supper at First Presbyterian, but not for the marriage supper of the Lamb. To look for the light finding its way in your li- into your life and through your life, to be open to change, to the pain that letting go of plans and certainties always brings so that you can experience this abundant life, that is the challenge. Christians have to be, learn how to expect it. When my sister would do something to me when I was growing up and I was going to get her back, I would tell her, when you least expect it, expect it. And that's what, and, and, you know, then I'd get her back. You know, that's another way of saying revenge is a dish best served cold. But it's a good rule for Christians, too. When you least expect it, expect it. That's where the light's going to shine, in you, on you, and through you. It's a good rule of thumb for Christian life. So embrace the fact, as these disciples did, that what you thought was going to happen, the way you thought life was going to unfold, is probably not going to happen exactly that way. In fact, I guarantee it won't. The question is, how open are we to the spirit and the presence and the voice of God nudging us and calling us when that happens. Thomas Burton, the great Catholic mystic, said, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and the challenges offered up by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. That's what I need. That's what we all need. Amen.